0: Annihilation.
1: Annihilation. Annihilation.
0: Annihilation. Annihilation. Annihilation.
1: Annihilation. Annihilation. One minute at a time. When you come, as you soon must, to the streets of our city, mad-eyed from stating the obvious, not proclaiming our fall, but begging us, in God's name, to have self-pity. Spare us all word of the weapons, their force and range. The long numbers that rocket the mind. Our slow, unreckoning hearts will be left behind, Unable to fear what is too strange. Nor shall you scare us with talk of the death of the race. How should we dream of this place without us? The sun mere fire? The leaves untroubled about us? A stone look on the stone's face? Speak of the world's own change, Though we cannot conceive Of an undreamt thing we know to our cost How the dreamt cloud crumbles The vines are blackened by frost How the view alters We could believe If you told us so That the white-tailed deer will slip Into perfect shade Grown perfectly shy The lark avoid the reaches of our eye The jackpine lose its knuckled grip On the cold ledge And every torrent burn as Xanthus once, its gliding trout, stunned in a twinkling, what should we be without? The dolphin's ark, the dove's return? These things in which we have seen ourselves and spoken, ask us, prophet, how we shall call our natures forth when that live tongue is all dispelled, that glass obscured or broken, in which we have said the rose of our love and the clean horse of our courage, in which beheld the singing locust of the soul unshelled, and all we mean or wish to mean? Ask us, ask us whether with the worldless rose our hearts shall fail us, come demanding whether there shall be lofty or long-standing when the bronze annals of the oak tree close. Richard Wilbur, Advice to a Prophet Ville evacuated two years ago. "'overgrown by the tumorous growths of the Shimmer "'as well as nature itself. "'A house with a tree with more than two years' growth "'growing out of it. "'An abandoned jungle gym. "'We won't notice them yet, "'but there are strangely shaped plants "'already visible in the middle distance, "'but they mostly blend in with the other greenery. "'Thorinson, troubled, angry, "'sitting down in the distance. "'Cut to. "'Close on Thorinson. "'The sun bright behind her. Lena nearby, setting down her rifle.' Ventress, and then Radic, approaching, blurry, farther beyond. Florence's breathing is heavy. In the script, the reveal that follows is more exciting, and it frames Radic as frightened, wary, when in the film she is about to be in her element. Radic, Karen's The quiet urgency in Radic's voice makes everyone look around. Radic is frozen to the spot. Lena follows her gaze and jilts. Twenty or so meters ahead in the dark space between two of the buildings, there is what appears to be the silhouette of a man. Motionless, arms at his side, facing them. Only after registering the shape of the man does it become clear that there is something odd about him. He's slightly misshapen. His arms and torso are too thin. His legs are too thick. A beat. No one is moved. Lena takes a step towards the man, raises a hand. Lena, hello? The silhouette of the man doesn't react at all. Lena takes another step, and the shift in perspective reveals another figure. This one is behind the man, behind the building, not in shadow, but caught in the light from the dropping sun. It looks like a child. Also motionless, also misshapen. But now, in the light, the oddness of the shape makes more sense. The child is not flesh and blood, A plant. A twisting root system forms calves and feet, leading up to knotted branches and densely packed leaves, like a topiary. Exterior, Ville Perdue, slash statue garden, sundown. Lena, followed by the others, walks through the space between the buildings past the shape of the man, into something that is like a statue garden. In the space between the back of the houses and the tree line of the forest, there are twenty or so plant figures. Some of them have grown into reasonable facsimiles of a man, or woman, or a child. Others are incomplete, the legs and half the torso, an outstretched arm becoming a tangle of twigs and leaves beyond the bicep. Others have exploded far beyond the basic outline of a human, expanding out into tree structures. Thornton, what are these things? Were they made by the people who lived here? Dr. Ventress, impossible. The area has been empty for years. Thornton, or made by one of the previous teams. Lena examines a child plant. Lena, they haven't been cut this way. Lena plucks a leaf from the child figure. Lena, continued, They've the grown this way. way. Alex Garland discusses his influences with Sci-Fi Wire, 22nd May, 2018.
0: Well, apart, obviously, of thinking about Jeff's book, which is, you'd have to say, the single biggest influence, the real influences... Not the post-rationalised or even pre-rationalised influences are are sort of unknown to me. I think, um, but but uh, if I was going to hazard a guess, I'd probably say Alan Moore, um, British comic book writer. I I suspect there's some Alan Moore in there. Concept artist, Jock. He's he's mentioned. Uh in the, in the past, how the Alan Moore comics were a big influence on him. And Alan is, is a yeah, very intellectual writer in, in the same way, I think, that, that Alex is. Swamp Thing. Um, <laughs> it's a, so this will make sense to people who were fans of comic books in the 1980s, which is a, is a niche crowd. Um, but to those people, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing has a, appears about two-thirds of the way through the film... Uh, in these sort of frozen statue figures. So there you go. There's one.
1: Swamp Thing, 21, February 1984. Quote, I'd often fantasized about the chance to examine such an organism up close, and this was as close as one was likely to get. I opened him up. He had things inside him. There were two large pod-like structures within the chest cavity. They look like lungs. But human lungs have tiny capillary tubes that let oxygen pass through into the blood. That's what lungs are for. These are vegetable fiber. Vegetable fibers are too coarse to allow molecules of oxygen through in that way. These things suck and blow, and they don't do anything else. They don't work. They're not lungs. I wonder what they are. I wondered the same thing about the sponge-like vegetable brain that we found inside the leathery skull. Even without the bullet hole, it couldn't possibly work. It had no synapse gaps. I wondered about the useless heart. I wondered about the unworkable pseudo-kidneys. I wondered. The biorestorative formula had turned Holland into a plant, except that it couldn't have. It didn't work on human tissue. The swamp thing had organs like those of any creature, except that they did not, could not, and had not been designed to function. It was more than a human mind could ever be expected to unravel. I had the answer within six weeks. It was as if the clouds were suddenly blown away. I was working late. I was tired. I opened a reference book at the wrong page and began to read. It was an essay on planarian worms. Not what I wanted at all. And then, suddenly, there it was. As plain as the nose on your face. The answer. Planarian worms. They're the key to everything. You see, a while ago some people did an experiment. They taught a planarian worm to run a simple maze. They educated it. Then they chopped it up and fed its remains to a batch of planarian worms that couldn't run the maze. Except that after digesting their educated comrade, the worms could run the maze perfectly. End quote. The experiment the Floronic Man describes is a variant of one begun in 1953. James V. McConnell, a graduate student from the University of Texas, begins, as described by Larry Stern, Monitor on Psychology, June 2010 by bisecting planarians to see which half would retain conditioning when regenerating a new half. McConnell and his planarian research group tried to graft the head of one worm onto another's tail. They tried to inject ground-up worms into other worms. Finally, in March 1960, they turned to depend on cannibalistic tendencies of planarians. They conditioned planarians to, quote, scrunch when a bright light is flashed. Then he plans to chop them into pieces, feed them to their cannibalistic brothers, and see whether the learned behavior is transferred from the trained victim to the naive recipient. His eventual goal is to demonstrate that the engram, the physical representation of memory, is encoded in the structure of unique forms of RNA, much as inherited traits are encoded in one's DNA. The story of McCannibal and his Mao Mao hypothesis has become part of the folklore of psychology often used in textbooks as a humorous hook to grab students' attention in chapters devoted to learning and memory. Two things are typically included. References to memory pills or professor burgers, and the alleged fact that no one was ever able to truly replicate the findings. Those who did report positive results, the story goes, were poor scientists who either conducted sloppy experiments that lacked proper controls or simply deceived themselves. End quote. Despite the lack of real results from McConnell's experiments... Back to Swamp Thing. Quote, The implication is that consciousness and intelligence can be passed on as foodstuffs. That maybe explains the custom among cannibal tribes of eating the wise man after his death in order to receive his wisdom. You could go into a delicatessen and order Einstein on Pumpernickel. Let's talk about Holland. Let's talk about his accident. Imagine him regaining his consciousness there in his cabin that night. There's something taped to the underside of his workbench. With mounting apprehension, he scrabbles toward it. It's dynamite. Five sticks of it. And he's maybe 18 inches away from it when it explodes. The combined effects of the blast and the reflex muscles in his legs propel him through the door and into the swamp. But Alec Holland is already dead. His body goes into the swamp along with the formula that it is saturated with. And once there, it decomposes. A patch of swampland like that would be teeming with microorganisms. It wouldn't take long. But what about the plants in the swamp? The plants that have been altered by the bio-restorative formula? The plants whose hungry root systems are busily ingesting the mortal remains of Alec Holland? Those plants eat him. They eat him as if he were a planarian worm, or a cannibal wise man, or a genius on rye. They eat him, and they become infected by a powerful consciousness that does not realize it is no longer alive. Imagine that cloudy, confused intelligence, possibly with only the vaguest notion of self, trying to make sense of its new environment, gradually shaping the plant cells that it now inhabits into a shape that it's more comfortable with. It remembers having bones, and so it builds itself a skeleton of wood. It remembers having muscles, and constructs muscles from supple plant fiber. It remembers having lungs, and a heart, and a brain. It does its best to duplicate them. You see, we were wrong. We thought that the Swamp Thing was Alec Holland, somehow transformed into a plant. It wasn't. It was a plant that thought it was Alec Holland, a plant that was trying its level best to be Alec Holland, and that pathetic, misshapen parody downstairs in the cryo-chest was the closest that it could get. End quote. In the film we cut Second Nine from Thorns into the Reverse. Now the plants shaped like people stand out against the grassy field. In the left foreground a child and an adult. Flowering, hands just touching. Beyond them numerous others. Center a frame of female form, taller than the others. Next to her a couple standing together, one covered in flowers. To the right, near the jungle gym, a hunched form, head down. The wind blows. The camera lowers. Reverse second fourteen. On Thorinson seated and Lena, standing. Behind them, Radic is just removing her rifle strap over her head. Ventress is setting her pack on the ground. Lena moves forward. Thornton looks down, then up again. Second seventeen reverse again, from just behind Thornton, head and shoulders large in the right half of frame. Lena walks toward the child and adult. She begins to crouch down, and Radic comes into the left side of frame, duct-tape pack still on. Shepherd's stuffed animal keychain pokes its head out of the top left corner of the pack. Raddock passes between us and Lena, and to the right, as camera moves left. Second 24 closer behind Raddock. the stuffed keychain dangles loosely now. Another resumption of this venture, perhaps. Another iteration. Or a simple continuity error. Raddock keeps moving right, past the tall female and the couple. A man covered in flowers, a woman with her left hand raised to her own right shoulder. Radek slows, reaches a hand out toward her. Cut to Lena, second 28, crouched by the child. Lena,
0: the girl this way. way.
1: Reverse, second 31. Thorinson and Ventress both sitting now. Thorinson has her rifle in her lap, her hands fidgeting. Tense. Ventress has one foot up on her chair and has her canteen in both hands. Casual maybe even relaxed. Thornton, that doesn't, doesn't make, make any sense. sense. New angle, second 33, on Radic and the couple, a building beyond. At right edge of frame is the adult near the child, but the child and Lena crouched before it are out of frame, and Thornton and Ventress must be farther off to the right. It is a strange change of angle, moving beyond the topiary figures but without establishing a visual connection to the table where Thornton and Ventress sit. Radic speaks quietly. Raddock. I, I think, think it does. does. The script says Raddick is sat on the grass between two of the figures. But she still stands by the couple, her hand out. She wears her uniform jacket, but her hoodie is tied around her waist beneath it. She turns her head slightly to the right, and then removes her pack. Drops it to the ground. Second 43, back to an extension of the previous shot, toward the jungle gym. Man, woman, then Raddock from left of frame. Medium. Hunched figure at right edge of frame. In the script, radic continued. In fact, it makes total sense. All turned to Raddick. In the film, At first, first I, thought I thought the radio, radio waves, waves were blocked by the shimmer and, shimmer, and that's why no one inside could
0: communicate, communicate with base or
1: GPS, but, but... Cut to Lena, now cracking a small bit off of the child. In the script, radic glances upwards. Raddick continued. But I look up. I see the sun and the sky... Which, they did film this line. From behind-the-scenes footage.
0: I thought the radio waves were blocked by the shimmer, and that's why no one inside could communicate with base or GPS. But, look up. See the clouds? And the sky? The, the light, light waves,
1: waves aren't, blocked. aren't blocked. In the script, bright rainbow colors fringe the clouds above. Back to radic second 55. Radek, continued. There. The refracted end? Bent. Radek bends down, opens her pack, and starts to remove her shortwave radio. And time runs out for this minute.
0: We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he wakes by the window and
1: wanders... At the empty place inside Annihilation
0: is all we are Annihilation